Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for all the many blessings you give us. Father, I'm reminded as I sat through this today how just how blessed we are to have such a great children's group here. Lord, I thank you for teachers and workers like Moe's who so faithfully put their time in. Lord, for like for Jennifer and Michael and those that went with them to camp. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, that as you that as we go into the remainder of the service and look into your word, that you would open it up for us, and the Lord, you would challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Won't you all be seated? <clears throat> okay, we're running a little late, and that's okay. I'm going to keep you here longer, so don't worry about it. Now I'm going to cut and slash as I go, so I'm going to try to get you out of here a little earlier than I had figured on doing. Okay. Some of you may be looking at the title of the sermon and wondering, what in the world is this about? Body parts everywhere. And has there been an explosion you didn't know about or something to that nature? Well, it comes from this verse, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. It says this, As it is, there are many parts but one body. Now that passage, that verse is talking about spiritual gifts and that there's one body, but everybody has a different gift and does their part. Paul goes on to talk about the ears and the eyes and the hands and how everybody is represented by a body part. But together, collectively, we all come together and we make up the body of Christ here on this earth. We are the representation of Christ working in ministry here on this earth to accomplish what he wants done. Now, I've talked to you before about spiritual gifts and not focusing so much on trying to find your gift in worrying about it, as I want you to try to understand your shape. I've talked to you about this before. We'd rather talk about your shape, S-H-A-P-E, than just your gift, because your, just your gift can be a little misleading. Let me explain it. Shape stands for this. The, the S is for uh, your spiritual gift. The H is for your heart or your passion. A is for your abilities, P is for your personality, and E is for the experiences that you've gone through in life. Now let me show you what I mean by this. You take your spiritual gift, and let's say, for example, you may have the gift of teaching, or the gift of giving, or the gift of helps, whatever, as we go through the list of gifts there in Corinthians. But then you add to it your heart or your passion. And then all of a sudden, whatever your passion is, is going to dictate how you use that gift, for example. You may have the gift of teaching, but a passion for children. This is what you saw here today. People who have a passion for children, but are spiritually gifted to teach. Um, You may have a gift for giving, but a passion for missions. So that's going to dictate how you spend the bulk of your money. You're going to be supportive of missions. Your abilities, for example. You may have, for let's say, the gift of helps, but you have the ability to build well, that's going to dictate how you use that gift and what it looks like in your life. And to try to say that everybody's spiritual gift who has this particular gift, all of them look the same. See, this is where we get confused because we're trying to fit square pegs into round holes. We're trying to say that if you have this particular gift, you have to display it or show it this way. For example, your personality is going to have a great deal to do with the way you come across in the way you exercise your gift. If you have a gift of hospitality or um, mercy, something like that, then your personality is going to show through as you exercise that gift, and it's going to look different 
for you than it may be for somebody else. The experiences of life. Let's say, for example, you have the gift of mercy, but you were abused as a child. That's your experience that you've gone through in life. Then how, you, how do you think you're going to display your gift of mercy? Probably with a passion for people that are hurting, people that have been abused, that sort of thing. So to try to say, well, I'm going to figure out my spiritual gift, and then it's going to look like Joe over here. Well, it's not. It's not. Now, with that background, I'm going to talk about what we're going to be looking at today. I want you to know or at least have some idea of what your shape is. What do you think your gift is? What's your passion? Look at your experiences and so forth and try to pull it all together. And that's going to show you how it is that God has prepared you to work and to minister within the body of Christ. And this is where your part in the body begins to show itself and you become part of the productive body of Christ here on earth. So this is what I'm wanting to talk to you about. And I want you to be encouraged to serve with what you have and who you are, the way God has made you. You know, we, um, we all have responsibilities to the body of Christ. And now when I say the body, I'm talking about collectively. All Christians basically make up the body of Christ. We're just in a local church body. But we all are called to, to be involved in the church. We all have responsibilities, and we're all unique. We all are different, and this is the way God has made us, and we've got to understand that. But what we all need to do is to understand this, that we have to prepare. We have to prepare ourselves with, given our shape, prepare ourselves to minister. And not everybody's willing to do that, and that's where part of the problem comes in, because not every believer seems to be willing to put in the time to hone their skills, to find places to minister, to find people in need, and, and make no mistake about it, that ministry always involves people, directly or indirectly, it's always about building up somebody or helping somebody. It's not just about building buildings, it's about what the buildings are used for in order to build up the body, the people that come to it. Now let me read real quick for you, and I'm going to emphasize quick here. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 16, so very quickly, hang on with me, okay? He says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, that was kind of rapid. I apologize, but I need to jump into this, okay? Out of this passage, for those of you that are visiting, the reason we're here is because we're studying Ephesians. This is the passage we're looking at today. Three things that I want to bring out here in this passage. Here's the first one. You were made to minister. You were made to minister. In some area, some capacity, in some function within the church in the body of Christ, you were made to minister. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to do it on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night in church setting, but you were made to minister in some way. Look at what the passage says. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Let's put them together. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to to his people. Now, when it talks about giving grace to each one of us, grace has been given. And then down in the next verse, it says that God gave gifts to his people. The gifts and the grace are the same thing. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about you having been given a special gift of grace, the spiritual gifts that we talk about, in which you function within the body of Christ. And I would like to broaden that, if you will, and just include the shape. In other words, God has built you. God has prepared you. God has gotten you ready for ministry. Spiritual gifts are just a part of that. But in this particular passage, he's focusing in on the gifts. These gifts were apportioned, it says, by Christ himself. And every person, every believer, has been given a gift. Now, we learn that from other places in Scripture. Let me look on down now in verses 9 and 10. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, this is a, this is a passage that I'm going to skip. <laughs> All right. Okay, I won't. Let's do it. I'll hit it. I wanted to talk about it. We're running out of time, but let me just say this, okay? There's there are a couple of ways of looking at this passage. The Christ descended to earth, and that's what it's talking about. Then later on, after the resurrection, he ascended back into heaven. There's another way of looking at this, and this is the kind of the one that I lean toward, okay? That is talking about that he descended when he died into the lower parts of of earth, into what we would call Hades. And then that he ascended later when he ascended up into heaven. Let me explain this, okay? In the Bible, there are terms for the place where the dead were kept or are being kept. The place is referred to in the Old Testament as Hades. In some places it's called Sheol. Um, some places, Gihana, other terms. It just means the place of the dead. Sometimes it just refers to the grave itself. Here's what we believe, and again, it's up, to, up for debate. But if you were to take, for example, this podium, and let's pretend that this podium is a chasm that separates this room. It runs all the way to the back. On this side of the chasm is what we refer to today as hell. That was part of Hades. On the other side of the chasm is what we refer to as paradise, Abraham's bosom as it's referred to. Here's the reason we, we believe this. 
is because of what it says in Luke 16. Jesus gave a story. It wasn't a parable because he uses names. He never uses names in a parable. But the parable went like this. He said two people died. Um, Lazarus, not the Lazarus in the Bible, but another one. Lazarus died and a a rich ruler died. And both, uh, one was a believer, Lazarus, and one was not. And he goes on to say that the unbeliever went to the place called Hades or hell, and the believer, Lazarus, is in Abraham's bosom, and that they could see each other across this chasm. And one is saying, or or the, the one in hell is saying, please send somebody over here to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm burning up over here. And it goes on. We're not going to talk about that. What what was said, just that it existed. Now, when Jesus died, if you'll recall the morning of the resurrection, when he appeared to Mary, and Mary grabs a hold of him, and this is according to the Greek, is what really happened. It says in the, in the King James, he said, don't touch me. But really, it's, don't hold on to me, is what he's saying. Don't hold on to me. I have not ascended to my Father in heaven. Now think about this, because there's a problem here. If Jesus was dead for three days and he had not ascended to heaven, then where was he? See, that's the question. And the answer is, he was here, in the place of the dead, until the resurrection. And it was there that he he went. And these are the captives that he led out of there. See, this is what we believe happened. This place over here that is called paradise, he told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. That place is now empty. Because according to what we read here, he led captivity out. You praise the Lord. So that's empty. So when we refer to Hades today, for the last 2,000 years, it has made it's a reference to hell because that's what remains. And so whereas in the Old Testament, Hades just meant in general, you go to, you're dying, you're dead. Not, it wasn't looking at any particular side. Today it does because that's how we use it. That's the only thing left there is hell. And this is what we refer to as hell. So back to this passage now. These two verses. He ascended and took captives with him. This is what we believe that he did. And then he gave gifts to those that remained. That would be us or the people that were living at that time. So what Paul is trying to say here in Ephesians is that you have been given gifts. This is what he's basically getting at. And it says that it occurred when Jesus ascended and then the Spirit came at Pentecost. This is when gifts were given then. Not before that because we didn't have the Spirit, but now we do. And now the gifts have been given. And this is why he's saying you're better off now than you would have been. Because once he left, he sent the Spirit with the gifts. Now, gifts have been given. You look in the passage in 1 Corinthians and... Find all the gifts that are mentioned there and things that um, happen that are, and are, are given today. And you will have to conclude one thing. That the gifts were given for a purpose. They were given to reach people. They were given to minister in the lives of people, to build people up, to strengthen people. And this is what Paul's saying here. That each one of you has been given a gift. Each one of you as a believer indwelt by the Spirit of God has a gift. 
And you have a responsibility to the body of Christ, the rest, to exercise your gifts, your shape, if I can stretch it out to that, in the way that God has blessed you, the way that God has built you, the way that God has made you. You and I have the responsibility to do that. And you've got to understand that you are unique. And see, this is the key. You are so unique. And you've got to stop trying to compare yourself to other Christians and say that I've got to look like them and I've got to act like them because you don't. Can you imagine if you just took these five things that I've mentioned, the spiritual gifts and your heart or passion, your abilities, your personality, your experiences? How do you match all of those up in one person and duplicate that? You can't. The variables are too great. And people are different because each of those things are going to be different in some way. This is what makes you special. Because God says, I need you. I need you with what you have and your abilities and and opportunities that I've given you. And I need you. And this is what you've got to understand. You were made to minister. You understand that? Nobody gets a... A pass on this, okay? Nobody gets time off. Nobody gets to say, oh, no, that's not me. Because God says, oh, yes, that's you. And you were made for that. But here's the second point that I want to bring out, and that is this. That some believers are responsible to equip others for ministry. Some believers have been given the responsibility to equip all of us to minister. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Verses 11 through 13. Let me read them for you, and we're going to talk about them. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God has given these four categories, four or five, depending on how you divide it, for this reason, to equip you for service, is what verse 12 says. It's done to equip everybody in the body of Christ to serve. But it goes on to say, until we are mature, according, according to verse 13. Now, I don't think he's talking about when you get to heaven here, okay? I think what he's talking about is that there's a level of maturity where you become stable and grounded in your faith and in the knowledge of God, and you are a contributing, mature believer. That's what I believe that he's talking about here. You have attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You understand the truth. And you're living it. That's what I see him doing there. But now I want to talk about these different people that he's mentioned to talk to you. Now listen carefully because you're going to be surprised at this, all right? Let's take them one at a time. The apostle. There are, in the Bible, mentioned of the twelve, and then you can add a few more to it because Paul became one and some others, the apostles. That was an official position, an official position, uh, an office, if you will. It was unique to that time in the sense of this. this, These were the qualifications. Now think about this, okay? 
in order to be considered an apostle in, the, in that time right after Christ, you had to first of all be an eyewitness of the resurrection. An eyewitness. Now this is what Paul keeps arguing. He keeps arguing, I'm an apostle because I saw him after the resurrection. But there was another requirement, and that was you had to have the apostolic power. The apostolic power was given that they could raise the dead and do miraculous things. You could walk down the street and your shadow falls upon somebody and they're healed. I mean, this was unique power. It doesn't mean that things like that don't happen today. It just means that it was, in, that it was unique in that power that they had, okay? Now, that was the office. It's not to be duplicated because nobody else can have claimed that they saw him. However, according to what Paul is saying, the gift continues. Now, here's what you've got to understand. The office doesn't, but the gift does. What does apostle mean? It means one that has been sent. This was the unique feature of the apostles in the New Testament. They were sent out to start new works, to open new fields of ministry, places where nobody had ever been before. If you were to say, okay, who today would possess the spiritual gift of an apostle? Then we are looking at missionaries. We're looking at people who have, who have been called to the mission field and everybody else kind of sits around, prays for them and says, thank God that's not me, don't you? I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going there. You know, we all do that. That's because you have not been given that gift, and they have. And they are called to the mission field, and it's not just geographically. Um, It may be that they are called to new um, races of people to, to minister to. It could be right here in this nation of ours and go to a whole different people group that lives here in this nation. You've been sent out to go to that. It could be a whole new group of people that have identified as something contrary to the normal sexual identities a lot of us have, but yet God called you to go minister to them. That's the mission field. And what I believe is this, that there are people in the churches who've been called by God to do things like that, and they definitely, I think, would have the gift of an apostle. Now, Is that just for men? No. When it comes to the gift as opposed to the office, you're looking at something different here. They have the gift of the apostles. They have the desire to go. They've been called of God to go. And let me tell you something, guys. Women do this marvelously. They do. When we were up in Indiana, there was one of our missionaries that we had there in the church. She worked for Wycliffe in, from an early age. When I was there, she had been there 20 years, I think. Been on the mission field in Papua New Guinea out in the jungle. I mean the jungles, living with the natives there. She was planting churches. She was teaching pastors the Bible. She was translating the work for them and establishing the governance of the churches and getting it started. And to my knowledge, I think she may have just retired. And I think she's living over here in the Wycliffe Center in Duncanville, but her name was Hope. She was marvelous, a remarkable woman. So you talk about that gift, then there are people within the churches, men and women, who have the desire to go do something, 
something different and unique, something nobody else has thought of or tried. And God's leading them to go. They're being sent out, being called out. And I believe with all my heart there are many people in churches like that who need to be inspired, motivated, guided in order to go. But the apostles, those people, let's say, those people with that gift, affect the rest of the church. God gave them to the church in order to affect the church. They're the ones that rally people around a cause. They're the ones that call people out and say, let's go do this and get people excited about mission trips and things like that. And there are some of those sitting in here today. And God called you to equip the church for ministry. Let's move on. I've got a lot to say, but I don't have time. Prophet. Think about this. In the Old Testament, the prophets were notorious. And it wasn't just that they predicted the future, okay? Most of the time, a prophet would be sent by God to a king or to Israel to tell them what they're doing wrong. And more than anything else, it was like, this is what God said. If you don't straighten up, he's going to come and take care of this. You know, it was like doom and gloom, judgment and wrath and all of this. And that's what they did. But there were unique offices or positions You can go back into the Old Testament and find the prophets that held that authority in that position. But yet, according to the New Testament, this gift is given still today. Not the office, but the gift. What did a prophet do? What was so unique? Well, they warn people. They rebuke the sinner. They guide people. They direct them. How do we see this in the church today? Somebody that might have a gift of the prophet. How would that be seen? Well, in some preachers, you know, people will say, well, you're a teacher, not a preacher. Well, that basically is what they're saying. They're saying you're a gifted teacher, but you're not the, you know, repent or die type thing. And you're not the guy that's always browbeating people, that sort of thing. Well, there's a gift. People who are able to confront, people who are able to instruct, people who are able to guide. And that gift is seen in not only sometimes preachers, but just people within the congregation. These are the people that you see in Christian counseling because they're the ones that get in your face and tell you what you need to be doing. They have a gift of of prophecy. And this could be you. And again, do women have the New Testament gift of prophecy? Yeah. In the New Testament, we find it mentioned that there were women who were prophets. They were in your face. I've known women over the years in ministry who had that ability and that gift, that calling. They could counsel, they could direct, they could tell you right up front what you need to do. They just knew it, and they did it effectively. So, yeah, that's a gift that's viable today. Evangelist, love for the lost. You have a burden for people. You're the kind of person that wants to reach people and make sure they understand the gospel and you want to challenge other people to be involved in it. And that's what you are called to do. And a lot of times women and men both are doing this. They're the ones that motivate and rally the church around reaching people and and trying to share the gospel with people. And so this is uh, one of those things. You know, we um, have the C2R group that meets here a couple of times a week. 
And this thing is growing leaps and bounds. And Todd and some other people are involved in that. And they're just doing a remarkable job. And their heart is for people that they would not only get off of drugs and alcohol, but that they would come to Christ. It's a passion. And not only that, but they're always pulling and inviting and cajoling people to get involved in it. And some people in our church have started doing that. This is what it means to prepare or equip the church. And this is the reason God has placed within the churches people who have a heart for this. Pastors and teachers, I've lumped the two together, I think, and from what we can tell in Scripture, they seem to be always connected together, pastor, teacher. What are we talking about? Well, in the office, the, the you know, technical position, you're looking at a guy, me, in this church, a pastor, teacher. But gift-wise, you're looking at a whole lot of people. Pastor is a shepherd, compassionate, He cares about people learning the Scriptures. He wants to teach it. He wants them to know it. He wants them to know the truth. That's the heart of a pastor. That you would not be fooled, but that you would know what the truth is. Now let me tell you something. Can a woman have the spiritual gift of pastor, shepherd? Absolutely. Yeah. You can argue all day among churches whether women ought to be preachers or not, and that's a whole other subject. But the gift of being a pastor or shepherd, being compassionate and giving people direction and teaching, oh yeah, it's all over the place. And you see that all the time among women. So the gifts go across the board. And they're not limited. Everybody. But they're placed within the church congregations for the reason of building the church up and to keep the church moving. And this is what he's saying here. He has placed within the church these unique positions, these unique people, I should say, not positions, in order to keep the church moving and accomplishing what God wants. One more point. Here it is very quickly. We all benefit when everyone does their part. We all benefit when everyone does their part. Now watch. Look at verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What happens when everybody is functioning the way that they should? What happens within the church when people fulfill their shape using their gifts and everything else that God has given them? What happens? Well, people all of a sudden begin to grow. And they're no longer infants or babies spiritually. They're not tossed back and forth by everything they hear. They're grounded. They know what they ought to be doing and they're doing it. He said that's what happens when everybody does their part. But it goes on in verse 15. It says this. Instead, here's what happens. Speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The whole group grows. That's a healthy church. When everybody does their part, when everybody fulfills their role, the church is healthy. It's when people get in positions of authority 
that want to squelch everybody's creativity that the church diminishes. When pastors are threatened by other people in the church who might be able to do things better than him, that's when the church begins to diminish. But when people are encouraged to step out there and let God use you, the church just explodes. Guys, just think what would happen in this church if those that have a gift of evangelism, however that looks in your life, began to utilize it and reach out and and help other people to see that. What would happen if those that have the gift of teaching would step up and teach? Man, what would happen? What would happen if people would catch a vision for what could be done in this little church outside of these four walls? What would happen? Oh, unbelievable. The church would grow. Because God's going to do his part. We ourselves are usually the weak link. Here's the last part. Verse 16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work, then the thing grows. And you've got to ask yourself this question. How long have you been sitting in that seat? How many years have you been sitting there doing nothing? Don't you tell me you're not gifted. Don't you tell me you don't have a passion. I know you do. You're just scared to step out there. Or maybe you're too lazy. I don't know. But don't you dare tell me that that's for everybody else. See, this is the mentality that so many people in churches have. I'm going to go to the church and the staff, meaning the pastors and the evangelists and everybody else that's got these special gifts. They're going to do the work, and I'm just going to sit there and soak it in. And that's not the church. That is not the church. It's not the way God intended it. Do your part, okay? Do your part. Let God move you and change you and use you in ways you've never thought possible. You'll see. Not only will you grow, but the church itself will grow. If you're here this morning and you have questions about your faith, questions about your salvation, I want you to listen to this verse, okay? It's in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says this. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. Do you know that God loves you? Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, regardless of what you're doing now, God loves you. He just doesn't love the sin. But God never has turned His back on you. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, and He says to you and me, I have taken the sacrifice of my son and I have put on him all of your sins. The guilt, all of it is gone. If you will do this one thing, if you'll put your faith in me, if you will turn to me and to believe that Jesus Christ was enough, that he was the payment, that he was your Savior, then I'll give you eternal life. It's a free gift. It's by faith. It always has been by faith. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And we're just a few minutes and I'll let you go, okay? You're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, that if you died right now, that God would accept you into his heaven. If you don't know that, 
then settle the issue here, right here today. Right there where you sit, you can come to Christ. Right there where you sit, you can make a decision to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Simply believe what the Bible says. You don't have to have all the answers. Nobody does. But you know what the Bible teaches. It's not by works, not your goodness, it's not your righteousness. It's what he did on the cross. Will you trust him? Right there where you sit. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, all of us as part of your church are reminded again of our obligation to the body. Father, we're just a bunch of parts laying around until somebody pulls us together and sets our feet on solid ground and helps us to understand who we are and how unique we are and how special we are to God. Father, I pray for each one of us that regardless of who we are and what we have to offer, that we would see the value of it and that God, each one of us, would get involved in the body of Christ, that each one of us would do our part. And that not only individually are we going to be grounded and settled and growing, but Lord, it affects the entire church. And it takes on a whole different look when we all just do our part. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.